This is the podcast Love, Blood, Sex, Death. As daughters of Venus, we're on a mission for 2020 and beyond to awaken more love in the world through intimate and educational conversations that shed light on our societal taboos. Those are the things that we all obsess about privately, but don't speak about publicly. Welcome to the show. Hello and welcome to episode number five. (laughs) Hi, how are you doing, Kristen? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm uh, quite enjoying the incubation period now after the initial resistance. Um, (laughs) And yeah, starting to savour it. Um, And I'm very excited that we are finally addressing the taboo of death in this episode, Death Wishes. And I think it's quite timely given the global response to this COVID pandemic because, you know, we've been confronted with death, with dying, with our mortality as a collective at the moment. And what's kind of really struck me is the lengths that we go to to avoid the threat to life, you know, and in doing so can kind of make life living hell, you know. And I think, you know, it's almost become normalised to do obsessional compulsive behaviours to destroy any possible threats to life, such as compulsive cleaning. You know, it used to just be OCD germaphobes, but now we're told that that's normal to wash our (laughs) hands. (laughs) several times a day and you know what I mean it just Mm -hmm. to me it's a very over-the-top response and and um it really flags our uh uncomfortability with death being a natural part of life I mean what what's Mm -hmm. your take on it totally I feel I've I traveled from Bali to Australia I think on the last flight out of Bali so it was very much in everybody's consciousness I could see everyone wearing, a lot of people wearing masks and giving dirty looks to anyone who would sneeze yeah. and um, <laughs> and it made me feel really alienated because I feel like I've made such a peace I feel very fortunate enough to have made peace with death with experience of really strong migraines for over a decade and when they first began, they were they were really debilitating, and I would pray for death because I was so in so much pain. And in that process, I somehow yeah created a really beautiful connection to to death and healed my relationship with it. And the fear has evaporated, and I it doesn't. I mean, maybe when it's right in front of my face, I'll feel differently. But I definitely see a difference between myself and a lot of the people, not everyone, but a lot of the people around me and my, in my anxiety around it, just, it just isn't there. And I'm not, I don't feel scared. And I'm sad others do. I agree in that if someone was holding a revolver to my face, yes, I might wet my pants, but (laughs) in terms of the, the threat of death, um, at the moment, I have not felt any fear whatsoever, and I. But like you, you know, I've befriended death to mm-hmm. to quite a degree. As a sixteen year old, I remember doing um, a Shakespearean monologue, uh, you know, uh, from King John, Queen Constance, where I was begging death to come and rape me and make me his bride. And I don't think a lot of sixteen year olds do. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, they go out with wow. nice boys, but um, or not. But you know, I just think it it's it's like a big release valve on our collective phobia mm. around mm-hmm. um, what is natural, which is mm-hmm. this this process of total letting go, total surrender to that which is beyond our control. So all of our yeah. control dramas are right up at the moment. Um, if we're not okay with the inevitable chaos of life, which is the only thing permanent, you know, which yeah. kind of makes it even more, you know, black comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? totally. um, and, yes, I want to explore with you on an episode on blood that menstruation um because i know for you the migraines are are, are very much part of the hormonal cycle is a practice for death you know because it is the death phase of the month but let's let's save that convo for another time um i'm very excited um for this episode because it's also our first guest yay and um you know this is a dear, dear friend of mine who um, is a death educator, a death doula, and um, there's such a need for that. You know, I mean, the conscious death movement has been sort of quietly simmering, growing sort of um, more as a grassroots movement over the last 10, 20 years, but I feel that what's happening at the moment is is – you know, a great time for conscious conversation around death. And I've I've called called this episode Death Wishes because people that aren't in right relationship with death, their life is like a death wish. You know, they might eat foods that are toxic, you know, use everything from toxic cleaning products, stay in toxic relationships, you know, they're mm-hmm. they're doing uh, recreational drugs, you know, they're abusing their bodies, let's face mm-hmm. it. And yet the thought of a, a pandemic death, it's like, well, no, let's, you know, mm-hmm. panic by not, well, how mm-hmm. about we look at life-enhancing behaviours? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how about we totally. buy some olive leaf extract, which destroys viruses <laughs> and, you know. So I <laughs> think it, it really flags our immaturity as a collective uh-huh. that um, we're not in right relationship with life and yep. that when we emerge from this cocoon, this incubation period I'm very hopeful that people will have done enough navel-gazing to Mm. go, wow, I had to look at my fears, including Mm. the ultimate fear, which is the fear of death, death of the ego, death of Mm. loss of control, Mm. so that we can um, not just create intention for living, but how to have a really positive death experience because I remember uh, a dear friend of mine, she died and the whole death process to watch and witness it was such an honour, you know, Mm. and um, we can talk more about that later on. But, um, yeah, I just... Um, Anyway, look, without further ado, why don't we bring our guest on because she knows more about this than I do. Um, so this is a dear, dear sister of mine who I've sat in Dark Moon Circle with for three years, one of the Hill Tribe sisters, Christina Reeves. Welcome to the show, love. 
Thanks, Tanishka. So would you like to explain exactly what a death doula um, and a death educator is for anyone not familiar with those terms, since it's probably not something that our parents pushed upon us as a career choice? <laughs> for sure. You will be yeah, a death so doula. I, I kind yeah, of... <laughs> Yeah, look, apparently it's one of the fastest growing professions out there at the moment. So Go um, COVID. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, pre, pre-COVID, it's just, yeah, a lot of people are feeling the call to this this form of community service and, um, and yeah, so we're, we're starting to hear a lot more about it, but a lot of people still don't know what the term death doula means or what it is that a death doula does. Break the silence, so, um, would you? The word doula basically means... Yeah, it means to be of service to a family. So a lot of people have now heard about birth doulas and um, a death doula is very similar except that we're supporting families through the end-of-life transition. So it's a non-medical role, although a lot of death doulas do have palliative care experience and have been nurses. Um, But essentially it's a non-medical role of supporting the family in whatever way they need. So basically I see my role as going in there almost like an event management role, just taking care of all the things behind the scenes Mm. so that it allows the family to be able to be fully present at the time of of death and grieving and not having to do all the running around. Wow. And so does that also involve emotional, psychological support? I would imagine it does. Definitely. Most death doulas that I know are natural space holders because it's, it's all about creating an, an environment that's, that's conducive for, for people being able to be present with the dying person. So yeah, it can be anything from taking care of um, all the rosters behind the scenes, so making sure that food is still getting to people that need it, that the dogs are being walked, that if there's children, they're getting taken to school and appointments and sports and so on. And yeah. um, also assisting with advocating in a medical role, um, especially for people dying at home. So dying at home isn't that common, even though well over 80% of people would choose yeah. to die at home if they could. They don't know what that involves and entails. So having a death doula there um, can help them in that planning and that preparation and assessing whether the the house and the environment is conducive, locking them into resources and networks that can support them. Fantastic. There is so much. I mean, when you think about how busy our lives are, you know, to then have this additional massive life change thrust upon us, life doesn't stop, as you said, you know. So that's just on a practical level. It makes so much sense, you know. Absolutely. And even though there can be years and years or or months or weeks even of knowing that someone is about to die, the shock and the trauma at the time is still very present and so just having someone there in the background who's who's not emotionally involved in the situation to just take care of all of those things behind the scenes and who has the knowledge of what your rights and legal rights and your choices are and can advocate for, for that um, and assist in the planning process. I mean, when... When people get married, they yeah. take months and months and months to plan for the wedding. And when we have a baby, we've at least got nine months to mm. prepare. But often with death, it can be very sudden. And even if it's not, a lot of the planning and preparation hasn't taken place because, as you said, it's very much a taboo subject in our community and we don't speak about it very often. So 
often you've only got three days to a week to plan everything mm. around funeral arrangements and so on. So having someone there who knows how the industry works yes. um, can just really assist at a very stressful yes, time. Yes, because there's a lot of exploitation, I would imagine, too, when people are at their most vulnerable, exactly. you know. Absolutely. So knowing what your legal rights are, knowing what your choices are and being empowered in your decisions because you have that knowledge and information can really help make for a much smoother process for everyone wow. involved. Hey, um, this might be a rude question. What does it cost to have that kind of support? What, Like what to do is – I mean, I don't, I don't know how much yeah, uh, so, you know, <laughs> Um, funeral costs and I'd love to get you back to discuss how to create a kick-ass funeral but for this episode you know I'd (laughs) like to focus on how to you know create an empowered and positive death experience which is a whole separate thing again but yeah because the amount of time you couldn't yeah it'd be hard to factor all that in yeah well Every death doula has different, a different skill set, different talents and gifts and, and things that they can offer. Um, but mostly they're around 40 to $60 an hour, but there's box packages available. And that can look like anything from just, I've just sometimes supported people, through, you know, via phone. They just want a little bit of information and are happy to take it on themselves through to other people who just want you there the whole time. That's great. So I'm glad it, I it's asked. Because to, to have like a tier yeah. level of support, people can then be it, empowered to go, okay, well, you know, it's not all or nothing. That's great. That's right. And look, most death doulas out there, it's it's very much a collaborative industry, which is such a beautiful oh. <laughs> um, industry to be a part of. We, we all really um, know each other well and look out for each other and that helps us match the right death doula to the right family. But also there's a lot of doulas in training. So we can access people who are in training that can just come and, and sit um, just if there's respite care needed or something that you know that they can come and do as well so um you know it, it's it, it's not a funded God, program well, by the government be? although it is in some countries and most death doulas are you know people trying to pay their own bills and, mm. and do that as well but we do try to you know make sure that there's that everyone can access the services when needed Gosh. so part of the death doula training that i did we we had to agree to do three pro bono mm services per year to be able to give back to the family and and make it accessible for everyone. I like that. I mean, this whole COVID thing's really brought out the people that are doing the essential services are often the most underpaid. And I see death doula as an essential service. And yet, you know, we look at what athletes are paid and, you know, barristers are paid, you, you know, it's uh, 600 well, it was $600 an hour for a barrister in Australia when I worked in the courts. God, how long ago was that? Many, many years ago. So the, I hope that that also is a topic of conversation for people at the moment, re-evaluating what our values and our priorities are, mm. you know, in terms of, you know, what we invest in. But, Kristen, I think you were about to say something, my love. Um, I'd love to ask you, Christina, when you share what you do for work, what kind of reactions that you get from people? Because I know for me, 
when I share that I'm a sexologist, I remember being at the optometrist and, and the optometrist asked me what I did. And I was like, I studied sexology when I was studying. And he was like, oh, that's different. And I was like, well, not really for me. It's not. How, how do people receive you when you share what you do for work? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people, there's, there's a lot of strange looks, um, but most people are genu- genuinely curious. Yeah. And what's really come to find is because death is such a taboo, there's a lot of sort of closet deathies out there who really don't have anywhere to, to wow. express what they're feeling or talk about their their um their experiences wow. and so a lot of people just really want to pounce straight into telling me their stories yep. around death because there's not really many spaces that Talk we can share it. those really deeply vulnerable stories that we we hold i was i was on the phone to someone from centrelink and happened to mention that and next thing he's pouring oh. out his heart and we're both having a oh, phone and i'm singing threshold songs to oh. him it was really for those yeah, of our listeners so who are the australian that- centrelink is the, the the Department of Social Services, the welfare. So just to give that anecdotal story a bit of context, I kind of turned it around where you were counselling Yes, because usually it's not a very personal oh, service. Sad. But, yeah, I find a lot of people have yeah. a story, they have an experience, and they don't really have many places that can yeah. share that, which is why I also run, run – um, sharing circles because you know with our birth stories a lot of people are able Mm. to have a forum to share that but with with our death stories we don't and so many people just want that opportunity to talk about it and in a more normalized setting i would imagine too like not just a place for grieving parents or you know because i know there are specific support groups set up for that but just to normalize death um, by making it a part of conversation. Like you were part of the Death Cafe movement, I know, Christina. Would you like to share a bit about what that is? Yeah, yeah. So the Death Cafe is the, it, exactly what you just said. It's about um, normalising death. It's bringing people together to have the conversations because, look, let's face it, it's such an important conversation. It's the only one thing we are all absolutely guaranteed <laughs> to have to deal with in our lives it's probably the least talked about subject Mm -hmm. of all so it's a place where people can come and have those conversations Um, and usually it's done over food uh, just to make it more accessible and and less formal Um, yeah and people come together and chat so I don't personally run death cafes because that's uh you know, there's a certain philosophy around it and you have to adhere to certain conditions okay. um, and meet certain criteria to run a death cafe. So I call mine dialogues and I do have themes okay. uh, for, for every conversation because it just helps to to bring people together in, in a more specific context and really dive deep into the topics because there's some really, really challenging topics out there around death, around organ donation, right. around all... Do you yeah. offer any online sort of meetups for people, given our current circumstances? Well, <laughs> funnily enough, given our current circumstances, I'm taking massive crash courses in in how to become more digitally friendly. Great. Okay. Um, yeah. I- I am looking to to create more content online and my workshops that I can't deliver in person and my, my public speaking engagements having all been cancelled. I'm looking at learning how to do podcasting and, right. and some webinars and um, 
videos and creating resources because really for me my, my passion is empowering and um, informing people about what their legal rights are what their choices are and really bringing death back into the hands of the community because we've outsourced it to the medical industry and the funeral mm. industry and that's very disappointing. Yeah, I came to one of your talks just you know up in the hills God, it was enlivening. It was so informative, you know, and knowledge yeah. is power. So um, what what are, do you feel are, you know, um, the most important elements that make for a good death process? Like, um, yeah, what would, what would be your personal death wishes and why? Yeah, this is a really, really deep and interesting question because <laughs> – you know, I pose this question uh, in my workshop. I ask people to pair up and say, what is a good death? And, you know, I did this myself when I came to it. It was a bit like doing my birth plan, you know. Oh, I want this music and these aromatherapy oils and you know, all this surrounded by family and friends and so on. But then, you know, you think about death and it's really the one thing that we don't have any mm-hmm. control over. Death doesn't matter. Yeah, a birth sense. plan is you an oxymoron, no so a like. death plan would be even more so. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, you can have all of these these wishes and you can document them and that's great. But, you know, what I've learned is not to become too attached to that plan because, you know, you can ask what makes a good death and go into all the things about, you know, maintaining dignity and having your privacy and having control over relief, pain relief and, you know, having access to information and knowledge and all those things and having control over who's there at the end. But, you know, because we never know what's going to happen and how it's going to happen, that that term of what is a good death can change, you know. A good death for someone who knows that they're dying and can have that time for preparation and saying goodbye as opposed to someone in her in a horrendous car crash you know or or all the other horrendous ways that people can die quickly and suddenly and without grace and dignity and and so on so then when we start to look at what is a good death and we don't all have that you know, lying in bed as the sun sets kind of beautiful romanticized option then we have to reevaluate what makes a good death. And really, when you look at it, the only thing we have control over is our life. So for me, it was a journey of starting to look at, well, what makes a good life? Because the two are so, you know, entwined. And that is the one thing we can have control over. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen... That you know the the top five regrets that people have when they die, and there's just no, such what a, are they? Do you know them off the top of your head? around. Well, it, it's mostly things like they they haven't fulfilled on their bucket list, or they have regrets, or they haven't apologised, mm. and haven't you know they're not in right relationship with people. They don't have completion over their life. So for me, it's very much been facing a lot of um, questions around death and my mortality through the training and experience as a death doula and seeing this constantly, you know, having it in my face constantly brings back to me everything about how I'm living my life Um, because really ultimately that's all I've got. Yeah, I just want to pick up on a point. Um, In terms of, you know, you mentioned if you end up in an experience where you're going to have a sudden death, that yeah. I had um, 
uh, an osteo over in Bali, a French woman, tell me she remembered a previous life where she'd been a Knights Templar. And she was, you know, her, she was bleeding out. And she said, and she looked up and the sun was shining and she just thought, what a good day to die. And I thought, fuck, mm. you don't hear stories like that very often. <laughs> like, because we project onto it, oh, God, that would have been horrendous. They would have been in pain. It, it, you know what I mean? And yet if we've yeah. done, as you say, the preparatory work in our life, such as, I mean, Kristen mentioned about how the migraines have helped her as a shamanic, you know, cyclic process to go into a state of transcendental sort of meditation and surrender and acceptance, or if people have a meditation practice, if we are in a situation that is sudden and perhaps violent, we might actually find a deep peace within that. Like I remember being in a car with an ex and the car did a 180, you know, turning into oncoming traffic. And then we ended up going backwards down an embankment and he was freaking out. And this calm came over me probably because he was freaking out and you end up playing the counterpoint energy. But I just put my hand on him as the car is spinning <laughs> and just said, we're fine. <laughs> now, I don't know if I'd be that calm if someone had a fucking gun in my face, but I was actually quite chuffed. I thought, okay. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, what what do you feel people can do so that they experience a state of being that helps them to navigate the unknown, whatever that death experience is going to look like. Yeah, so for me, it's doing the soul work along the way, all, all the way throughout your life so that there's a sense of completion no matter when that appointment arrives, that, you know, you've been cleaning up your own mess along the way, you're staying in right relationship as best you can with people, which doesn't necessarily mean positive relationship, but that you've come to some sense of resolve within I yourself, like that. that there's nothing kind of outstanding, there's no lingering things, you've said everything that you need to say, um, you know, and when we when we come across people who die, it it does if if they're close to us it does give us a different sense of of our own mortality and you know often for a short time we think about these things but i you know like many other things we just go straight back into mm. normality and forget that we were thinking about those mm. things so you know it's 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 really doing that consciously all along the way, um, thinking about the type of legacy that you're going to leave behind. You know, are you walking your talk? How are you going to be remembered? How are you now? How do you think people will remember you? And is that how you want I to like be remembered? That. So mm. for me, it's about living living my life now, doing the work now on every yes. level. And, yeah, and with that, I mean, it's soul work. This is soul medicine that we're talking about because when we come to the end of our lives in our Western world, we focus purely on the physical aspects. You know, it's about the drugs. It's about the pain relief. It's about maintaining dignity and trying to keep them as comfortable as possible. And I really would love to see that narrative change to include the soul yeah. medicine because, for me, that's just as important. 
the drugs because death is, you know, it's a transition. It's It incorporates everything, our, our psychological, emotional, spiritual, not just the physical. So all the things that feed us with soul medicine, beauty, song, art. Will help the transition. Know, yes. Expand connection to nature, having our animals and special people around us, connection to others. Yeah, I was there. Well, not there, but I was on the phone to my 100-year-old grandmother as she was crossing and she was scared, you know. The inner child in her was freaking out. And, you know, I've known of women who would play harp and, you know, sing and, uh, you know, to me that would – help any scared inner child to let go and and accept the inevitable and and the next adventure you know is that something you know have you been a witness to people that are scared in those final moments um no i haven't personally i think just uh... It's probably a little bit like home birthing. There's sort of with the death doula movement just at at the moment, I think because it's still so new, the types of people that are attracted to using a death doula kind of have already done a lot of that work um, and are resonating on on the same level. So I haven't personally, definitely in the people around them, Absolutely. I think there's just a point, if you are in tune with your body, there is a point where that person knows, that person knows that their body's shutting down. They know it's their time. It's more the people, the family and friends around that really a lot of the attention and energy yeah. needs to go towards to Because often, them you know, the, the person who's lying on their deathbed is often forced into the position of counselling the people that come to visit them that are, are not coping. <laughs> you know, or have... Yeah, and that's where a death, that's where the services of a death doula can be really oh. valuable as well. Um, yeah, both both in in that just just even being a presence in the room, you know, that the there can be some really death can either bring out the best in people or the worst in people, and there can be some really horrendous situations in some dysfunctional families around um, around death and inheritance and so on. So just having someone in the room who's not so emotionally involved can just take yes. the charge out of it a little bit. People can be on better behaviour when there's someone else there, you know. Often there's a lot of mediation work involved and reminding people that it's not really about them at the moment <laughs> and we're holding space for, for the person who's dying. Oh, shocking. Um, it's all about me. Yeah. Oh, look. <laughs> it can't, look, everyone deals with trauma and stress and grief in different ways. And we're such a grief phobic mm. culture. We don't have a lot of tools and resources around how to navigate grief. And, um, you know, so it, it can come out in all sorts of ways. And, and we need to be compassionate for that. But at the same time, you know, just really maintaining a. Um, as peaceful environment as possible. So, and I, I think, yeah, yeah, I think that tends to happen naturally with people who are aware of death or, or feel that death is a spiritual mm. transition. Because you know, that if anyone's been in the room with a birthing mother or a dying person, you know, it's the same, the same threshold that's opening there. It's the same, um, same energy that we're 
that we're dealing with and and often just that in itself can create an environment that's conducive regardless of everyone's individual beliefs or feelings or around spirit or yeah I, know, I god or it, it, whatever you want to call back that thing that's greater than ourselves that we all seem to connect to in in this end of life I've, i think it would be i've never been with someone at the, you know at their deathbed only my um well having said that my nana actually not my grandmother but my nana my mum's mum came and stood as an apparition at the end of my bed the night she crossed um, which I thought was lovely. Do you know what I mean? That she kind of stopped by mm-hmm. on her way out. Um, you know, I think that's regardless of what whether people are atheists or, or you know, what sort of philosophical outlook they have, there's been statistics that show that at, you know, the time of death, they see their relatives on the other side of the veil. So it... It is a spiritual, soulful experience, even in spite of what people's waking life might have been. Do you find that? Yeah, yeah. Look, there's some there's some really um, common stories around what happens towards the end of life and around the deathbed and you know science is just starting to to catch up to be able to prove some of these things now which you know a lot of people have just known and and personally experienced for a long time my ex-partner's grandma when she died just before she died she opened her eyes looked around the room and said we're all one and then passed away is that something that happens it's so it's so special. A moment of absolute clarity. Clarity, oh. like, oh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh, how beautiful. Yeah. yeah, my friend that died, I mean, it was the most beautiful um, death in that it was, you know, for sort of two weeks leading up to her crossing, there was just food and chanting and beautiful altars and children playing, you know, it was um, it was beautiful, and um, yeah. she'd done my uh, priestess course, and she'd been intuitively guided when she got the diagnosis of cervical cancer to go and rework the um, acts of beauty, the art pieces for the two bottom energy centers. And she had a conscious death. She, at the moment of passing, I was talking to her telepathically and she left out of the crown and she ended up in a place that looked like a kind of like a university, but it was in in another dimension. And they came rushing towards her, all these beautiful light beings wanting to know how they could help people on earth because, you know, she'd crossed without the struggle you, you know, mm. so she was readily available mm. to them. Whereas um, in speaking with mediums, there's often a delay before you can contact people in the afterlife, you know, because they're, you know, they're dealing with their own transition. Mm. And part of that, I think, is also I've heard it explained that if we don't integrate the different archetypal selves at the time of death as we're leaving our mortal coil it's like leaving behind aspects like parts of us feel like they're falling away so if we haven't done the soul integration Mm. work you know we can feel 
as the ego dies, if we're more attached with the physical mm. than with the soul, like, oh, I'm dying, rather than if we're more identified yeah. with the soul, we go, oh, no, I'm immortal, I'm eternal, you know, I'm just dropping my physical robes. Mm. So it's not scary then, you know. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And any of those detachment practices are really good for separating the, the physical body and the, the soul body or the mind or or things like that are, are good for practicing you know, meditation and um, yeah I, I was trained in the great death spiral rites which is um, you know a shamanic practice for helping people detach their their soul body from their physical body is that and, where you visualize yourself like uh, decaying I know that's a Hindu tradition they do practice that in Bali right Oh, yeah, like you see yourself like yeah. with worms eating out your eyes, and you know what I mean, like you, mm-hmm. so that you're breathing through the resistance and just going, yeah, okay, it's just the physical. <laughs> yeah, and I've heard someone say, you know, Kristen was saying with her migraines that that is a good time to practice when you are when you do when you're sick, especially with a headache, to just you know, not take the drugs and just feel what that feels like and, and that level of pain and that then that desire to leave that physical, um, that condition of pain and, and uh, that's that the so true. experiencing that, yeah, we can have little Because we medicalise our lives, don't we? we? Do our- like we numb rather than go into pain yeah. where, mm. where we do avoidance. Yeah, yeah, I know I have done a lot of with period pain. Yeah. And this is a bit of a controversial topic, but I I see death as the ultimate rite of passage, you know, mm-hmm. the final rite of passage. It's the last gift that we offer to the world and it's yes. our greatest teaching of, you know, our last teaching of how we leave the world, that, that, that um, what we're imparting there. And like with any rite of passage, you know, there's so much preparation. It's all in the preparation work, really, <laughs> that, that has to be done. And that's on all levels. And that's what I think we don't do so well in the Western world. We don't really see death as a rite of passage and we don't do the preparatory um, work on a soul level or it's psychologically and emotionally and spiritually. And with any rite of passage, you know, there is an element of pain mm. that that we undergo to help that transformation. So, yeah, just for me, even just viewing it in that regard, that it's a rite of passage and it's a, an initiatory process. There has to be some discomfort going through. It's like- to, to shift out of the comfortable of what we know to go through the rite of passage to whatever the new, the new yeah. is. Yeah, it's like we're rebirthing ourselves as ancestors. Yes, yes. I mean, you know, yeah. is it the Buddhists that say when a soul is born, the spirits weep, you know, for them it's death. And when um, <laughs> when we die, everyone here weeps and they rejoice, you know. it's And as you said, it's the yeah. one crossroads, the one gateway, you know. What, what legal yeah. things matters would you advise people do? To have more empowered choices around death. Mm. So if you, um, you know, uh, having an advanced care plan or an advanced care directive in place is really, really important if you uh, have 
certain ideals about how you want to die. So if we look at the medical profession, their adage is to save life at all costs. You know, that's death is seen as a medical failure um, in, in the medical world, you know, and that's, that's why I'm really passionate about informing people and creating death-friendly and death-literate communities because, um, you know, we need to reclaim death as a natural process of life. I think we've just, you know, we're seeing it as this medical failure. So it's more about the doctor's um, ego at that point than about the, <laughs> than the person transitioning. Well, all of Probably more about risk management oh, yeah. insurance companies. Yeah, <laughs> okay. um, yeah, no, look, often the doctors often the doctors are very aware of what they feel they should be doing for that person. Um, but you know, they've they've got their responsibilities and also often we hear from the doctors that the family put pressure oh, on as well. Of course. You know. Keep yeah, them alive yeah. at any cost because I mean, they're we not see- comfortable with the process of yeah. death. Right. Yep. And we're so programmed. I mean, you just look at any conversations around diseases, cancer, and the, you just look at the terminology we use, you know, that it's the battle mm. and we're fighting for mm. our lives. And, you yeah. know, there's, there's nowhere in there where you're presented with the option of just being okay with the death process, you know. It's a form of aggressive treatment will we take next, you know. Which which new experimental medication will we try? We're going to beat this thing, you know. I just wonder what our lives would look like if we had a better relationship with death and that conversation could go yeah, very Yeah, because if you think about autumn, it's one of the most beautiful seasons and it's the season of, you know, the dying of life. So there's great yeah. beauty to be explored yeah. if we can – transcend our fear Mm. absolutely and a lot of people um you know they they have an ideal way that they want to die and it doesn't involve Mm. tubes being shoved down their throat and being resuscitated three or four times when they're 96 Mm. year old and and having their ribs broken and so on but often in a case of ongoing disease people end up in this medical purgatory without even realising it because they just take little step by little step by little step trying so, to regain mm. more time but often at a lot of quality of life. So if you do feel quite um, resolved around this and that, and that you know that there's certain procedures that you absolutely don't want done under any circumstances like being resuscitated or tube-fed or intubated and so on. It's really important to document those in an advanced care plan, which you can download. You just can Google it anywhere and download it online. You're, you can go into your GP and do it together with them. people have questions um, about it, can they email plan. you or have you got a Facebook page or a website if people have questions about filling that in, I love that they can just download it. Yeah, yep, yep. So I I can do that as part of my mm. consultation. Um, there's, uh, you know, I can do it together with you. That's and, a nice thing um, families can do resources. in the incubation. <laughs> <laughs> Well, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you can't prepare too early because you never know when when the appointment's coming. And, and that's why I advocate that everyone should be doing their planning regardless of their age or their mm. state of health because we all know someone who has died suddenly, you know, at any age. So, yeah. 
you know, it's it's really important to be having the conversations and to be documenting your wishes um, if you want to have control over that yourself and or if you just care about the people around you and them having a less stressful time. So um, do not resuscitate, I mean, sounds like the most, you know, honouring thing all round because it doesn't put the weight of that decision onto your loved ones, you know, which is Mm. a real burden I could imagine. Um, But are there any other sort of, I don't know, legal things that you don't know what you don't know and (laughs) you know what I mean? It'd be like, (laughs) what do we do here? Absolutely. So, yeah, the the advanced care plan will take care of how how you want to die or be treated in cases where you are unable to speak for yourself, that there's a right. document there that says that. Um, and appointing a medical um, in, oh, advocate. I've forgotten what they're called. Um, uh, they, they've changed. They keep changing oh. the terminology all the time. But basically, someone who can advocate for you, who knows your wishes, and can make sure that advance care plan is being followed. Although it's actually a legal document now, Ooh. as of last so year. So do, they don't have to be a medical. Um, yeah, though. yeah. They can just be a friend. No, 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 no. Someone who's aligned with your values is probably the best. So not necessarily choice. a family member and, if they don't necessarily. <laughs> You know, like that film Captain yeah. Fantastic they, where uh, they go and steal the um, the coffin to give the mother a send-off in a way that is honouring of who she really was, which is basically a hippie rather yeah. than the, um, you know, the more formal Christian send-off that her family was planning for her. Great film, by the way. That's right. So if you want to donate oh, yeah. your organs but the that you've appointed doesn't agree with that, you know, then there's possibly some issues there. <laughs> Choose someone who's aligned with your values and who you think will understand your choices. And they would and, get a copy of your them. advanced care plan and you'd, I don't know, do you have a card in your wallet? So, you know, like that says contact this person in the event of death or, or near death? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, this is why it's good to have the family discussion as well, especially if the person that you're appointing isn't part of your direct or immediate family, but you'd hope that they'd be close enough that they'd know what's going in your life, going on in your life when when it came to needing to do that. But the advanced care plans are also, you can register them if you know, you know, oh. if you're on... If you're registered with specialists and so on or you're already in palliative care and so on, those documents will be there. It's more in the case of any sudden death, which in in which case, you know, advanced care plan may come in if you um, – sorry, not, not when you've died, but if you um, end up needing to be on life support mm. or something like that because of a car accident. So, yeah, it's great to have all of this documented, you know, having um, one of um, the – the recent clients had a, a folder that he called um, his his folder of demise, <laughs> and all of the information stored in his folder, his file of demise um, that he used to bring out all the time and go over constantly with his Lucky family. Them. So, but I mean, people um, put more effort yeah, into their compost, fan- don't they, instead of their own <laughs> decaying. <laughs> Yeah, and definitely a will, your, your will, your um, final will and testament, having that updated and in place and 
um, having a power of attorney appointed is really important if you um, if you have assets and and so on that you need to worry about how they're being distributed because that is one of the most highly stressful issues around death is when people die without a will in place and um and is that something a doula can assist with or is that more of a solicitor because i know you can buy a a will kit at the post office i bought one and never filled it in i'm ashamed to say (laughs) yeah look it's there's a lot of controversy over whether you need to go spending exorbitant amounts of money or those will kits will suffice. Basically, if you've got any kind of complex situation, you know, like three different children to three different fathers, let's just say, <laughs> then it's really good to have a proper will and testament drawn up by an, an attorney, a solicitor and have that um, updated regularly or if you are in a business partnership mm. or anything like that, anything more complex, um, it is better to, to just fork out that money and have that taken care of because really the mm. headaches that can evolve around people not having a will and testament and the um, relationships that can be destroyed over it. Yeah, not the really legacy you want, is it? <laughs> No, no, no. Um, and then just logistically, look, there's there's two two frames of thought around preparing for your own funeral. I'm a bit of a control freak. I have an ideal in mind of what I would love. Um, but really, ultimately, then then there's the then there's the people who think, well, the, the funeral's not really actually about you. It's about the people being left behind. And if you are a bit of a control freak and plan everything down to the nth degree, you know, is that taking away from the people that are being left behind and how they would like to honour you? So I'm sure there's a fine line in there for everyone that they can navigate. Um, I personally think at least having the conversations and having some of your more important wishes known, especially if there's, you know, like religious or cultural aspects behind it, such as whether you want to be cremated or buried, it's really important to document Mm. that if it's important to you. Um, Also, because if you just think about it, when, when those left behind are in their state of stress and trauma and grief, to be making those really big, big decisions on behalf of another person can be mm. quite a burden, can be quite mm. stressful. So, yeah, when, when I do my um, consultations, I pretty much go through absolutely everything. It's, it's like having a one-on-one education around all your rights and, and choices that you have um, and then your desires and wishes right down to, you know, if you've got any clothes that you want to be Oh, wow. Or what types of flowers you want to have, you know, like you can have all of that down there. I remember my friend wanted um, to be buried in the staying alive pose, but they wouldn't fit her into the, um, <laughs> you know, when rigor mortis set in, she'd be stiff as a board and they yeah. wouldn't be able to get her arm or her left leg yeah. into the casket. <laughs> But bless her. Yeah. So I think it's imp- it's important to include those around you. But look, there are still a lot of people out there who don't want to talk about it. So you know that, that some people will go to their parents and say, "I'd really like to know this," and just get shut down on the spot because their sense of denial is so strong. Well, I suppose at least you've tried. Then do do you know? But, yeah. Um... 
Yeah, and and if they haven't organised and you're the one left mm. with it, well, <laughs> then you just get or to do it your way. Or if you're the child of a hoarder. I mean, my dad you know, was like, fuck, oh, they yeah, legacy. Yeah, my dad had filled most of his in, but he hadn't um, chosen any music yet. And I said, Dad, are you going to choose some music? And he said, well, I don't know. <laughs> it may change by then. And I said, but when's by then? You know, what if you drop dead tomorrow? And and I said, if you don't choose it, then I get to. And <laughs> really quickly, <laughs> it changes mind. <laughs> oh, fear and is start writing down some things you'd like, just oh, in case. Fantastic. Yeah. Hey, Christine, have you got any more questions you wanted to ask, um, Christina? Yeah, I wanted to know, um, as a death doula, you know, I don't, I understand that you would be holding a lot of space for people emotionally. And, you know, you said you just, you called somebody, told them what you do and, and it can kind of be an invitation to hear some really emotional experiences that can affect you. What do you do to manage your own emotional well-being and mental health, even though you've made peace with death and this is your work? Is, can it, can it affect you? Can it affect your mm-hmm. well-being or have you, what practices do you have? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, nature mm. is my absolute mm. go-to. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time in nature just regrounding um, and, and feeling mm. held myself. Um, yeah, because it is it does take a lot of energy to hold yeah. that kind of space with so many strong, challenging yeah. emotions coming out um, and triggering a lot of my own stuff. So doing my own yeah. inner work constantly so that I can sort of be a clear channel to hold that space is really, really important to do. And as I mentioned before, the Death Doula Network is such an integrated and collaborative Mm. network that the amount of support that we offer each other um, is is really vital. So, yeah, having those... Mostly sisters. Yep. There are a few men, bless yep. them, in the in the field, but yeah, having those sisters to be able to turn to and debrief, especially sort of, you yeah, know, there can be some really challenging, you know, some 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 cases yep. are a lot more challenging than others. So um, a lot of self care, a yep. lot of self nurture and self love. Um, yeah, and I do I do do a lot yep. of my own process work and and things so keeping grounded keeping myself um in good health Mm -hmm. you know with nutritional support and and good mental health um is really important and but but really ultimately i i never find it draining because it is such an honor and a privilege to work with families in this way and when it is your soul's work and your passion i think that just that just seems to carry me through because I know I'm doing really important yeah. mm. and valuable work and that it's needed. Um, so yeah. that tends to I remember me. you hosted the film yeah. Zen and the Art of Dying and, um, you know, had like a Q&A afterwards and I found that film so touching and important, you know, and I know people can Google that online and uh, watch it. I think, you know, to just see with their own eyes the work of death doulas mm. um, is important because otherwise it's hard to conceptualise what's involved and and why it is so essential, you know. And in the ancient world, it was part of 
um, you know, the family's role, you know, you'd have them in the home and you'd wash the body and that actually helps people with the grieving mm. process, you know, and when we're so removed from it, we, we don't get an opportunity to uh, transition through the grief. Like I know when my cat Clary died, bless him, mm. I was so at sea with grief that digging the actual grave mm. was really helpful, yeah, you know. not saying people dig up their own backyard for Graham, but, you know, yeah. like yeah. doing something physical. Like ritual. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it helps mm. us make meaning of it as well, you know, because we don't have a lot of story or context around death in our Western society. Mm -hmm. We don't have a lot of tradition mm. or culture associated with death, mm. unlike a lot of other countries. So we kind of don't have that to turn to. Right. We don't have a lot of ritual. So finding ways to make meaning of it within mm. our within ourselves. Kind of gets you out of the head. Ritual. Out of the head um, and into another, the body. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, because you know we need mm. to we need to slow down <laughs> to allow mm. that soul process to catch up. So carving that time and space is really important. And we don't have a very grief friendly oh. culture. We get four days bereavement leave, regardless of how close that the person work. is, and then we're meant to four days, <laughs> four days. <Yep. laughs> four days. There's a, there's a wonderful. Um, campaign called memo leaves and they're trying to campaign to have have that recognized that that's nowhere near oh enough for our mental health especially if it's to create that as a societal expectation that four days off work is enough My yeah God. i took more off for a breakup yeah there's, there's a lot of change there's a lot of change that needs to happen and very slowly um, it is happening. So we've now got Dying to Know Day on the 8th of August each year where a lot of information is being oh. disseminated and um, a lot of people can have a space to come and talk about these things that they, you know, when they don't usually have somewhere to go or, or people to talk to about it. So we're, we're starting to change the narrative and create a more death-positive culture and, and that's... Um, that's a really good thing because, as you said, you know, it's only a, it was only a couple of generations ago that it was very normal to be involved to for everyone to be able to know how to look after someone who was dying in their own homes. And the reality is, with mm. the baby boomers aging, we're mm. about to hit peak death in the next decade. <laughs> it's a boom industry. <laughs> and, yeah, when we hit peak death, we don't we're not going to have enough spaces in our mm. institutions for people to die in a hospital bed or a palliative care bed. So we're going to have no choice but to learn how to bring people back home again. So we're sort of trying to pave the way, prepare the way for communities to be able to hold this space together because really death is, even though on one sense it's very much a solo journey, that individual rite of passage, it's very much a communal process as well because when someone leaves this plane the entire web of connection around them has to reweave itself yeah, it touches everybody doesn't it yeah, and it initiates well, everybody it does mm. absolutely and everybody's mm. roles change you know if it's the matriarch of the family mm. everyone's roles have to shift to to reweave that web and um 
And yeah, we don't have rituals or traditions or customs in our Western culture around that. We don't really have context or meaning to support that. So these are the these are the stories we, we need to change. And I think these are going to come from grassroots and community and us making meaning of it and supporting each other mm. and empowering. And I just want to make one final note. I think there's a lot of shift around this, but including kids. You know, like it's great to see films like Coco and, you know, there's a lot of kids that really want to celebrate Day of the Dead, you know. I mean, the Halloween thing's often about more of the lollies. But, you know, in the tarot card of death, (laughs) kids go, woohoo, death's here and presents him with free, you know, the Grim Reaper with gifts. You know, it's like they know intrinsically that that's change and they trust the process of life and they celebrate, well, change means growth whereas you know when Mm. we've lost our trust in a higher power we contract into the mind and and we don't trust that death is going to lead to more growth and more life and and that's when things really distort yeah yeah, look, I wholeheartedly agree and um, some of the other work I do in, in trauma work and process work, there's a lot of people coming through with death trauma because oh. as a child they were shut down around death and they weren't allowed to go to the funeral of their parent or their sibling or ever talk about it again and some were even removed entirely from yeah. the household for months or, yeah. or years even. And, you know, they're even though in their mind, in their, in their 40, 50, 60-year-old rational mind, they know this person's died because they haven't had closure around it at the time because they didn't get to see that person or say goodbye and so on. There's a lot of yeah. trauma that's, um, that's still sitting there and it's never too late to have those processes and to say goodbye. Speaking of closure, um, we've and, just hit yeah, our one hour mark. Mm. <laughs> so we're going to have to put the final curtain down on this episode. Um, it's been lovely <laughs> having fun. you as our first guest and thank you for, you know, your knowledge in this area. Can you share with us uh, where people can find you if they want to follow up, if they've got more questions or want to consult or something? Sure, yeah, I've got a webpage. It's www.deathweaver.com. And on Facebook, I'm Christina Reeves, Death Weaver. So you can find me on there. And um, yeah, I've got lots of resources and connections and some blog articles Great. and podcast yeah. recordings and so on that that i'll be able Christian, to share with you um, i'm just so grateful for you coming on christina thank you so much i can't wait to have you back i've got so many more questions <laughs> that i didn't even know i had <laughs> you so- call me a control freak i do want to discuss yeah there's so many funeral. i do love a good <laughs> <laughs> why not excellent, excellent. i've already forward. got the playlist all <laughs> kidding i don't <laughs> well my dad had a friend who was going to put bacon in his bloody coffin before it went to the crematorium you know there's all those kind of death jokes that people have anyway yeah popcorn's a good one (laughs) awesome well on that note a bit of black humor um Thank you, and um, I hope our listeners have enjoyed that. And um, yeah, they seek you out to take this further and and spare their families the trauma of um, 
you know, mm. a, a death that's not anticipated. Beautiful. All right. Well, yeah. thank you, ladies. And I'd really like to thank you both for, for bringing this topic to the table and presenting it and normalising it in this way. So thank you both mm. for contributing to thank this you death also. poverty culture we're trying to build. Okay. Well, ciao for now. Ciao. Thanks for joining us. If you'd love to uh, catch future episodes, head on over to Spotify and uh, click follow. And if you'd like to find out more about my work, you can head over to the Moon Woman. That's M-O-O-N-Woman.com. And if you want to find out a bit more about me and the work that I do, you can go to yonilicious.com.au or you can find me on Instagram where I'm more active at yonilicious. Y-O-N-I-L-I-C-I-O-U-S. Beautiful. Have a great day. Bye.